This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Welcome to Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. And uh, this week I have a little bit of a cold. Uh, it's been going for most of the week. Monday night or so it came on, and I'm recording this show on a Friday night. So I've been having a cold for, what, five or four plus days. And I will attempt to minimize the sniffling and the throat clearing, and hopefully I won't cough or sneeze. I have a throat lozenge in my mouth, which I'm trying to keep from sounding, uh, you know, unprofessional <laughs> by by slurping away at the at the throat lozenge. But it's there to help keep me from coughing. So we'll see how that works. Uh, anyway, so just bear with me. Uh, I will. Uh, do what I can to minimize the sounds of a cold, but I've had a few shows off recently, and I just did not want to take another another one. Okay, um, let's see. What have I got? Oh, okay. First things up, uh, um, I've got uh, some Minnesota news, a little something that uh, showed up uh, you know, online just uh, within this past week. Now, the uh, local government... Uh, for Minnesota, the state of Minnesota, we have a bicameral legislation, which means we have a House of Representatives and a and a Senate, and they, uh, you know, it works much like the federal government. You know, both both houses, you know, both branches or you know both parts of the legislature come up with their bills for laws, and and then they they work them out so that the, the they will be the you know, there, there's similar bills that come up in the Senate and the House, and they try to work them out together, and then they send the the bill to the uh, governor, and the governor signs it into law, or vetoes it, and then they go back to work on it, or or not. And uh, there's an article <coughs> on, uh, let's see, let me grab my paperwork, because i got a whole bunch of it here. A lot of reading to do this show, so we'll get ready. <laughs> uh, this is from... Uh, KNSI, it's a radio station here in somewhere in Minnesota, and uh, this is from their website, and it's about uh, passing a uh, a bill. The, the the Minnesota House of Representatives have passed a bill that deals with uh, cell phone use while driving, and I'll just read the article to you, and then I'll I'll move from there. Uh, let's see. The article and this article was written by uh, Jake Judd, and this was uh, posted on the nineteenth, you know, three nineteen nineteen. Uh, 19, well, 
2019. You know, you know what I mean. March 19th. Uh, the Minnesota House of Representatives passed a hands-free cell phone bill with bipartisan support. The bill passed uh, 106 to 21. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, and then they then he quotes uh, Democrat House Speaker uh, Melissa Hortman. She says, "Minnesotans deserve to be safe on our roadways, and with distracted driving crashes and fatalities on the rise, it's time for us to pass a hands-free bill." There's the uh, Democratic House Majority Leader, Ryan uh, Winkler, says the bill will send a strong signal that drivers should focus on driving and make it easy for police to uh, better enforce distracted driving laws. Uh, and see, he says, uh, the lives of our fellow citizens, our families, are far more important than one more text message or one more phone call holding onto the phone or one more piece of distracted driving. And uh, St. Cloud Republican Representative uh, Tama Thies, I think I got that name correct, also supported the bill. She says, it's a really good first step, I think, that it will, oh, no, she says, it's a really good first step. I think it will get the ball rolling. It needs to happen. We need to have that awareness and that there are penalties for not behaving well with your phone. She says the bill would only allow hands-free use of a cell phone while driving, but thinks more could be done. Uh, they quote her again, and this time she's saying, Some of us feel like a better option would be to up the penalties to address distracted driving across the board. The current state law bans emailing, texting, and using a web browser while driving. The fine is $225. The bill has uh, the same penalties for drivers who don't use their cell phone in the hands-free mode. 16 other states and the District of Columbia have hands-free cell phone laws. A similar bill is working its way through the Senate, the, the Minnesota Senate, uh, with an exemption for GPS navigation systems. Uh, the bill's chief house supporter, or sponsor, I'm sorry, the bill's chief house sponsor, Representative Frank Hornstein says he's confident the differences will be worked out in the conference committee. He notes that Governor Tim Waltz has indicated that he will sign the bill. According to Minnesota Department of Safe, uh, Public Safety, distracted or inattentive driving was a contributing factor in one in five crashes from 2013 to 2017, resulting in an average of 53 deaths and 216 serious injuries each year. Okay? So, <clears throat> well, that sounds great, doesn't it? The only thing is, uh, the hands-free option, I mean, laws like that, the trouble with laws like that, uh, if it becomes law, is that it's, it says to the public that, hey, the hands-free option is safe, or, you know, safer. And I suppose it might be safer in that, with the hands-free option, you've got both hands on the steering wheel. You don't have one hand on your phone and one hand on your steering wheel. So I suppose, but really, when it comes to distracted drivers, it's no—it's not any safer. You're still distracted. You're still having troubles. Uh, I found uh, this was—I think—pretty uh, uh, sure it was my friend Craig, friend of the show, who um, made me aware of this little piece here this is a uh, this is from what's called a white paper 
Uh, a white paper is a, a study, uh, a, a summation of a study or a survey uh, d done scientifically, hopefully, and, uh, it, and it's distributed to uh, lawmakers as part of helping them come to decision of what laws to, what bills to pass and, and what laws to make, that kind of thing. And uh, this one is about distracted driving, but specifically about, ha about hands-free option not being any safer than, than talking with the hands full. All right, so there's a summary for this, uh, uh, for this piece. Now, now both the, uh, the article that I just read and this, uh, this white paper that was put out by the uh, National Safety Committee um, I, well, I will link to it on my show notes. So you get to the show notes by going to dimland.com, click on the blog option, you'll get to the show notes. They'll be there. You can go. You can check it out yourself. Uh, I'm just going to read to you the summary, which is the which is actually it starts out with the summary and then it goes on to tell you uh, more about it, giving the statistics and then uh, citing references and such and charts and all this kind of scientific stuff. So here's, uh, here's what the, uh, the white paper says. Uh, in January 2004, at 4 p.m. in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a 20-year-old woman ran a red light while talking on a cell phone. The driver's vehicle slammed into another vehicle, crossing with the green light directly in front of her. The vehicle she hit was not the first car through the intersection. It was the third or fourth. The police investigation determined the driver never touched her brakes and was traveling 48 miles an hour when she hit the other vehicle. The, cost crash, uh, the crash cost the life of a 12-year-old boy. Witnesses told investigators that the driver was not looking down, not dialing the phone, or texting. She was observed looking straight out the windshield, talking on her cell phone as she sped past four cars and a school bus stopped in the other southbound lane of traffic. Researchers have called this crash a classic case of inattention blindness caused by the cognitive distraction of a cell phone conversation. Vision is the most important sense for safe driving, yet drivers using hands-free phones and those being handheld phone using handheld phones have a tendency to look at but not see objects estimates indicate that drivers using cell phones look but fail to see up to 50% of the information in their driving environment distracted drivers experience what researchers call inattention blindness similar to tunnel vision Drivers are uh, looking out the windshield, but they do not process everything in the roadway environment that they must know to effectively monitor their surroundings, seek and identify potential hazards, and respond to unexpected situations. Today, there are more than 320 million wireless connections in the U.S., and although public sentiment appears to be turning against cell phone use while driving, many admit they regularly talk or text while driving. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration estimates that 9% of all drivers at any given time are using cell phones, and the National Council, I'm sorry, and the National Safety Council estimates about one in four motor vehicles cra uh, motor vehicle crashes involve cell phone use at the time of the crash. Cell phone distracted driving has become seri a serious 
uh, public health threat. A few states have passed legislation making it illegal to use handheld cell phones while driving. Uh, these laws give the false impression that using a hands-free phone is safe. The driver responsible for the uh, above crash was on the phone with her church, where she volunteered with her children at uh, at the or volunteered with children at the age of the young boy who lost his life as a result of her phone call. She pled guilty to negligent homicide, and the lives of two families were terribly and permanently altered. Countless numbers of similar crashes continue every day. This paper will take an in-depth look at why hands-free cell phone use while driving is dangerous. It is intended that this information will provide background and context for lawmakers and employers considering legislation and policies. And that's, that's the summary of what this paper is going to demonstrate. That hands-free hands, hands cell phones are not safe while driving. Oh, excuse the sniffle, sorry. I still have a, like I said, I have that cold. Um, it, this reminds me of, there was, I had a boss way back when, uh, when I worked at an ad agency. And she, she would multitask like crazy uh, when driving. I, I, it, was, it was crazy. You know, first of all, as this, this paper, and I've read through the paper, they talk about multitasking. And how the brain, the brain can't multitask. You can't, you, you can't be driving a car and paying attention to the traffic, and be talking, having a conversation at the same time. Uh, you can do that. I mean, you're actually doing it, but your brain is not doing either task well. It's jumping back and forth, and it does so very quickly. So it makes it seem like, yeah, I'm on top of this. I'm in control. I've got it. That's what it seems. But really, your brain's not doing either task very well. You're not doing either task very well. It's just, you know, it's just not something you should be doing behind the wheel of a car as you're driving. Uh, anyway, so this boss that I had, she would head off to meet a client, and she had a laptop computer. She has her cell phone, and she what she would do is she'd hop in her her SUV. So she's got this great big vehicle. She'd hop in there, she'd get on her phone, she'd have her, cell, she'd have her laptop on the, on the seat next to her, and she'd be doing all this and driving. And, and those of us who worked for her were constantly telling her to not do that. You're, you're, you're risking yourself. You're going to have an accident. You're going to hurt somebody. Now, I don't know. She never did while I worked there. I hope she's never uh, had something like that happen. I mean, can you imagine this young woman, this 20-year-old, who, who who volunteers at a church to help kids the age of this kid that got killed in the accident? Can you imagine how she feels for the rest of her life? I'm sure she's not too happy about it, obviously. So, <clears throat> so okay, Minnesota's trying to do something that the, you know, several other states have already done to try to get a handle on the cell phone use while driving. I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous that somebody would be checking email or browsing the web or reading texts while driving. I, it's, I, I just, it's, it's, that's insane. When we get the driverless cars and the, and the computer takes care of all that and you just get to sit away, okay, fine. You know, but I, and, and I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm innocent in all this because I have talked on my phone while I was driving my car. 
I didn't feel right about it. And the more I started looking into it and having seen this thing just recently, now I have started to, what I, well, uh, what I do now is I have my phone with me, I'm driving. If I get a call and I'm able to pull over quickly and safely without causing any kind of you know problems with traffic and all that, if I'm able to pull over and park, I'll answer the phone. If not, I just keep going. I figure if I forgot my phone at the office and somebody called my cell phone, I wouldn't know it's ringing. You know, just treat it that way. I'm not answering the phone. I'm going to wait until I can, you know, either if I can pull over and answer the phone safely, I will. Otherwise, I'm just going to wait till I'm somewhere where I can park the car and not, you know, not not at not a traffic light, just waiting for the waiting for the green light. No, no, no. Get somewhere, park the car, put it in park and then make the phone call, you know, that I'll do that. Or I'll get out of the car and where I'm at and I'll see who called me and I'll call them back. Figure, you know, it's just, I mean, it's just really dangerous. And I need to show this report to my wife because she, you know, I'll, I'll call her and she'll be in the car or she'll call me and she'll be in the car and I'll say, oh, you're in the car? Oh, well, well I'm using the hands-free. No, 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 we shouldn't. And I keep trying to convince her, don't do it. Don't talk on the phone. Just don't. You just don't do it. Yeah, so, so you guys just don't do it. Um, let's see. I should. I think. Uh, actually, I'm going to go to my break a little bit earlier. Uh, but when I come back, though, um, I'll have more, a little bit more, on this because I. Well, there's just something that I need to figure out about it. So, uh, stick around. Uh, I'll, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network, and I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I shall return after this break. Now, while I'm gone, I'm going to be blowing my nose like crazy and coughing probably because, well, you know, I got this cold thing, and I, I you know, I got to do that. And here goes the break. Listening to Z Talk Radio Network. I am living on Channel Z. When, oh, when will someone design an exploding head emoticon? Please, someone, anyone. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Z Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com.
for a Dimland Radio pedantic moment. Yeah, this ought to be good. Well, it could be. Could be good. Uh, welcome back to Dimland Radio. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Yes, I have. I do have a pedantic moment about this uh, this white paper study report paper thing. And I, I don't know did, if when I first read the summary, um, I was under the impression that the uh, that the young woman who had the accident, who was talking on her cell phone, I was under the impression that she was using the hands-free option because the paper is about how the hands-free option is not safe and so i thought you know this i mean i'm you know i'm set up to think that it's it's that's what this deal is about it it's not safe so uh that's i mean that was in my mind when i first read it but as I was going through this paper and looking and thinking about it and setting up to talk about the show and and have this, I thought, wait a second now, hang on. Now I'm going to read a little bit again of what I've read before, just to see if you catch what I was what I caught the second or third time. Uh, okay, there was this. Uh, you know, she ran a red light. The driver's vehicle slammed into another vehicle crossing with the green light directly in front of her. Uh, let's see. Uh, police investigation determined the driver never touched her brakes and was traveling at 48 miles an hour when she hit the other vehicle. The crash cost the life of a 12-year-old boy. Witnesses told investigators that the driver was not looking down, not dialing the phone, or texting. She was observed looking straight out the windshield, talking on her cell phone. And it, and then later it says the driver responsible for the crash was on the phone with her church where she volunteered uh, with children the age of the young boy whose lo- whose life was lost as a result of her phone call. Uh, and then the last paragraph: This paper will take an in-depth look of why hands-free cell phone use while driving is dangerous. Um, except whenever they talk about her and this this accident they never explicitly state that she's she's using the hands free in fact the language in here she was observed looking straight out the windshield talking on her cell phone um that's maybe i i don't know would you call that explicitly saying that she was using the handheld i mean the people who saw her saw her talking on her cell phone uh, if she was using hand-free, she would look like she was talking to herself, the way I look when I'm driving by myself. That's right. <laughs> I do a lot of talking to myself while I drive on my own, because I, uh, I, <clears throat> I like to say that it's me just uh, preparing for the show, just kind of figuring out a way I'm going to say something, what I'm going to ha- tackle, you know that, which is. It is what I do, but sometimes I'm talking about something else, and I and I've talked to myself all my life, so uh, you know. Anyway, so I would have thought that the observers would say that it looked like she was talking to herself. Well, they might say she probably was using the hands-free, but they don't actually say she was using the hands-free, and it seems as though she was holding the phone. So it's to, so to me, I was thinking, well, this paper is supposed to be about how. The hands-free option isn't any better 
than than you know holding the phone. Uh, so wouldn't it be best if you know, that they you know come up with an example of an accident, a fatality where somebody was using hands a hands the hands free option? Uh, and explicitly express that that's what she, this person was doing. Because in this case, I think she was holding onto the phone. I think she had it up to her ear. That's why the other people could see her talking on her cell phone. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm sure what they're doing here is they wanted to show you that, or mention uh, uh, the classic, it's uh, researchers have called this crash a classic case of inattention blindness caused by the cognitive distraction of a cell phone conversation. So they were using that as an example of how you can be uh, distracted through a cell phone conversation, uh, I guess regardless of whether it's handheld or hands-free, which is, it, I get, okay, but the way, but the, I don't. Know, to me, it seems like they're trying to keep you uh, thinking or guide you into the into thinking that the woman was doing you know, the driving and talking hands free and not with the phone uh, the phone in her hand. But then, if you look a little closer at it, they don't ex expressly say she was doing hands free, and it does seem as though she was holding the phone. I would have liked. I I th it might have been better impact if they found the hands free accident. Uh, maybe they didn't have one quite as compelling as this, and I, uh, you know, maybe they didn't. And I guess they're trying to show that you're in, you know, you're you're distracted while you're driving, on while you're talking on a cell phone, I guess. But the way it's done, it just seems a little, it just seems a little skewed, a little. It's it's not. I'm not not necessarily dishonest, but it's just if you're if you're if she's going to be on the phone. You, they should put some language in there saying, now, despite the fact that she was not using the hands-free, uh, we intend this paper to show how a hands-free cell phone conversation is just as much of a distraction as talking on a cell phone, holding onto the phone. It's some sort of language like that in here. I, like, it just feels a little... Um, it, it just seems, feels a little dishonest. Just a little. It... it, it yeah, it's just because, like I said, when I first read it, I thought she was on a hands-free phone. But uh, looking at it now, I don't think so. Oh, well, it's just a little pedantic. Uh, I, the paper still presents itself, at least as, as far as I could see. And in my estimation, it presents its case pretty well that you shouldn't talk on your cell phone while you're driving. And I wonder, what is a conversation you know, with with the person sitting there, is that just as distracting? You're not, you're not. It's, it's that's isn't that essentially the same as a as a hands free cell phone conversation? If some you're driving with uh, something with one or two or three people in your car, and you guys, you know, you're having a conversation as you're driving, aren't you distracted there as well? Should you just quietly drive? What about with the radio on? If you're listening to music, I suppose it's easier to put that in the background. But what if you're listening to something that's a conversation? I listen to sports talk radio when I'm driving somewhere. And I'm not talking to myself. <laughs> I listen to that. Or I might be talking to myself and listening to it. If, does that distract you? Because you're, you're listening to a conversation. You're not taking part of it, though. So that maybe it's a little bit different there. So I'm wondering... 
you know how far this distraction goes so but but as far as cell phone use take my advice just wait till you get to wherever you're going and return the person's phone call don't take the chance you don't want to end up killing some 12 year old kid now do you Okay, what do I got next? Oh, something else that uh, showed up on the social media this past week. Um, you know, it, it's it comes up every so often. It's a mystery that's 130 years old. It's a mystery that has intrigued people ever since, and it, it and and once again, someone thinks they've figured out who Jack the Ripper is. I talked about this in almost exactly the same case. In fact, it is exactly the same case. Uh, back in 2014, October of 2014, it was uh, uh, show 203, I think? 203? And this is show 402. And I was talking about a guy named... Uh, uh, I think it's Raymond Edwards, something like that. Some rich dude had purchased Russell Edwards, his name. He had purchased a shawl that was said to have been owned by Catherine Eddowes. Eddowes was one of the uh, uh, victims of Jack the Ripper. There are five women who have are said to have been killed by Jack the Ripper. Although there were several other, there was I think at least eleven Whitechapel. That's a part of London where Jack the Ripper was killing people. But there are <clears throat> there are uh, something like 11, at least according to Wikipedia, uh, women having been killed. Uh, I think they were all sex workers. And that they were killed brutally, you know, stabbed and cut up and all that um, over the, this period of time in, in 1888. And, uh, and, and all the murders are unsolved. But only five of them are said to be Jack the Ripper's victims. It's possible other victims might be his. It's possible that you know, that there was more than one killer. It's possible that it was just the one guy doing it, uh, one person doing it. And it never got solved. And that's part of the reason why it's remained such a tantalizing thing. And the other part of the reason why it's such a big deal is because of the guy's name. Jack the Ripper. He, he in the letters that were sent, m many of them believed at the time to be hoaxes and still believed to be hoaxes, but even at the time, Scotland Yard was thinking a lot of these letters are hoaxes, but a couple of them might be authentic. Uh, one of them was signed Jack the Ripper. And so the name, that, that, that name helps to keep it locked in place because it's, we still think of only those five women. We don't think of the other women uh, uh, that were part of these murders that took place in Whitechapel. And... Uh, you know, so there's this Jack the Ripper thing. So this Russell Edwards guy buys a shawl that is said to have belonged to Catherine Eddowes. It's also said to have been something she was wearing when she was murdered. It is said that one of the beat cops that came by uh, took the shawl and kept it, and it got passed down through his family. Uh, I guess it was in a museum for a while, and then this rich guy buys it, and he wants to... He's determined to prove that uh, one of the main suspects, even at the time, uh, as being Jack the Ripper, uh, uh, a Polish barber named uh, Aaron Kosminski, was Jack the Ripper. 
So, uh, so with that in mind, they did what's what's considered bad science. He got some forensics laboratory guys to check the DNA that was supposedly found on this, on this, on this uh, shawl, and they do bad science. They have a conclusion. The conclusion is that it was Kosminski. So let's make sure the information, the data that we get from here, the evidence that we get here, gets that conclusion. And and this and he wrote a book. And this was and uh, the book I think was written in 2014. Uh, he bought the shawl I think in, in 2007. And now, just recently, they've done some more testing on it. And they've, they, I guess a paper got published somewhere, and it was all the rage across the news media and social media and all that. Well, I have a friend who is a uh, less skeptical than I would like him to be. Uh, he, he posted uh, a link to an article that was on a site called thevintagenews.com. Uh, the headline... Jack the Ripper's identity may finally be known thanks to DNA. Well, there's the the weasel word may finally be known. They're not they're not committing totally. They're saying it may be known. And it was that the article's written by Nancy Billu. I think that's how you say the name, I'm not sure. Uh, and it came out on March 18th, uh, 2019. And so he shares this article. And I clicked on it and, and read the article. The article is actually pretty dubious about this stuff. And uh, my friend uh, put this comment when he shared it. He wrote, uh, 130-year-old DNA doesn't lie. Science is an amazing thing. Uh, sure it is. It's amazing for this guy when it, when it supports something that he likes but when it doesn't it's not it's it's that's kind of science is uh, it's only when it's convenient for him is it is it amazing you know it says yes it's so <clears throat> i mean yeah because like i said he's not as skeptical as i'd like him to be and he probably thinks i'm not as much of a believer as he'd want as he'd like me to be or something i guess but i did respond to this i i i read the article and then I, then I go back and I respond. And I said, did you even read the article? <laughs> I said, uh, the article itself is pretty dubious of the claim. Uh, this is old news surfacing again. The DNA evidence is highly unreliable. Firstly, because there is no credible evidence the shawl even belonged to Eddowes or was taken from the crime scene. Second, there's no telling how well or how poorly the shawl had been handled for the 100 plus, I suppose about like 120 years or so, uh, it was bought in 2007 by this rich guy, so that's 120 years or so that the uh, since the crime until the fellow bought it. Um, third, the article states that uh, descendants of Eddowes uh, had been in the shawl's presence recently, which could have contaminated it. And fourth, it's mitochondrial DNA, which is passed down through the mother which at best narrows the field, it doesn't pinpoint a particular person. You need more DNA. You need the, the DNA that gets passed down through the father. And you need, you need more DNA to be able to pinpoint somebody. Uh, then I go on, which I do. I go on, don't I? Uh, 
I said, uh, much like Patricia Cornwell's claim in 2002 to have solved the mystery, in which she pinned it on artist Walter Sickert, she also used DNA evidence to back up her claim. It, too, was mitochondrial DNA, which came from a ripper letter she possessed. Of course, the letter was dubious because it's not certain it was actually written by Jack the Ripper. Kosminski, Aaron Kosminski, who this Russell guy thinks did it, he may have been the Ripper, but we still don't know. Unless we invent a time machine to enable us to go back and see the murders committed, it's likely we will never know for sure. Science is amazing, but this is pretty unscientific. And then I, I quote a, genet a geneticist who was quoted in the article that my friend shared. And this is the last sentence of that article, which, which I, again, the article was dubious, and they let the skeptics have the last word. Generally, the credulous ads don't allow the skeptics to have the last word. They allow believers to have the last word. So the last word of this was the, the provenance of the, sh of the shawl is comical and would not be considered believable by even the most lazy historian. So I posted that, and um, and then uh, somebody else found an article that was written, or uh, in the uh, uh, written by a Christina Kilgrove for the for Forbes, uh, Forbes.com, and the headline of this article was "Archaeological Geneticists Call Jack the Ripper DNA Study Quote Unpublishable Nonsense." Now, I'll get more into that after I come back from my break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. Uh, I'm your host, Jim Dr. Jeffrey Simmons. I'll be back. Take my word for it, but you are listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. This is Meryl Streep. There's so much in life we can't control. But here's something we can colorectal cancer. It's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., but it is almost entirely preventable. Screening finds polyps so they can be removed before they turn into cancer. If you're over 50, get screened for colorectal cancer. Screening saves lives. It could really save your life. For more information, call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network.
just like Antonio. Hey, 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 I'm back. Welcome to Dimland Radio. Welcome back to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Simmons. I was talking about this latest round of We Know Who Jack the Ripper Is. Well, no, we don't. We still don't know. Uh, <clears throat> okay, now I'm going to read a bit of this uh, Forbes article, Forbes.com, which is, uh, again, it's written by Christina Kilgrove, and it was posted on uh, March 18th. Um, it says, uh, now this is a bit uh, where they're talking about what the, uh, the, the DNA, uh, the forensics, they were checking the DNA and finding uh, the, the, the information about, uh, uh, you know, who belonged to that mitochondrial DNA that was on there. Now remember what I said about mitochondrial DNA. Passes down through the mother. Okay. Uh, according uh, here's in the, the Forbes article, uh, the researchers claim the researchers are a fellow named uh, uh, Llewellynin, I think, and Miller. These two fellows, or people, uh, whatever they are. Uh, they did this this study. They ch- they looked into this DNA that was supposedly found on the shawl. The researchers claim that this is the most systematic and most advanced genetic analysis to date regarding the Jack the Ripper murders. They also say that they show that the presence of mitochondrial mitochondrial DNA on the shawl matches the female victim's mitochondrial DNA uh, derived from stains on it, and that uh, that mitochondrial DNA also on the shawl matches the suspect candidate's mitochondrial DNA. Uh, Furthermore, uh, both are on the same piece of evidence and originate from specific forensically relevant stains that are in concordance with Jack the Ripper's modus operandi. So they're saying that the, 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 the mitochondrial DNA that came from blood that's on that shawl, that matches uh, the female. So the, 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 the victim, Catherine Eddowes. The other DNA that they found that matches, that's consistent with the with the supposed uh, uh, suspect, that's from semen. So there's blood and semen on the shawl. That's what they're saying. So uh, the fellow, the Adam, uh, the fellow that ended that last article that I that I read to you, well, he's he's in this one. He's referred to in this one as well. His name is Adam Rutherford, a geneticist expert or genetics expert and science writer, took to Twitter to point out that the study, first of all, is not new. Uh, I wrote my response to my friend before I read these articles. See, I'm right there, but I'm not a genetics expert. Uh, Let's let the expert talk. Uh, It's not new. It was initially described in a 2014 book, and Rutherford challenged the claim then for BBC Inside Science. He also questions the provenance of the shawl. While Llewellynin and Miller suggest in their paper that appropriate chain of custody was employed and that they attempted to exclude contemporary people's DNA, Rutherford notes that the way it had has been handled since would render DNA analysis cripplingly problematic. This particular silk shawl had, has made rounds with photographs of people holding it with their bare hands. Hardly a pristine object for DNA analysis. 
geneticist uh, Turi King of the University of Leicester, who has uh, led the genome sequencing of Richard III, also sees major issues with the Ripper Shawl study. Writing on Twitter, King asks, How did this even get past review? Primers are not listed, data not presented. It, it, was it done in a proper forensic DNA lab? Unpublishable, she says. Unpublishable. So, <clears throat> let's see. Continuing. She is as concerned as Rutherford about contamination issues with the shawl as well. Quoting her again, not, on, not only owner photographed holding it with bare hands, but apparently also been in presence of descendants being used as comparator. Staggering! The article continues. The other major problem with the Llewellynin and Miller study is that is their use of mitochondrial DNA, according to the geneticists. While reference DNA samples from modern relatives could theoretically link the victim, Catherine Eddowes, with the forensic stains, that's only because she's female and her maternal relatives will still have similar mitochondrial DNA. Yet the study's authors claim that they have reference samples from relatives of the male suspect too. To quote, uh, here's a quote, the suspect couldn't have passed his mitochondrial DNA as he was a man, King explains. Uh, uh, this is another quote. Uh, this, is uh, this is terrible science and terrible history, Rutherford declares. It doesn't warn dis warrant discussion in the press, let alone in an academic journal. Nonsense like this paper and a gullible media does nothing but foment scientific and historical illiteracy built upon the grotesque romanticization of the brutal murders of five women. And we should all try harder to be better than this. Amen. So it's, we still don't know. You can't get mitochondrial DNA from semen. You can't, because it goes down through the women, and women don't produce semen. Okay? <clears throat> now, then, let's, then I decided, let's take a look at the headlines. Now, don't take this as a complete picture of it. I just looked at a few. I went to Google and put in uh, Jack the Ripper uh, DNA, you know, and I put it in a news search on Google and just looked to see what headlines I saw. And then, uh, so, now, this is just a quick check, and the articles might have been just as dubious as, uh, as the other article that uh, I had read, even though the headline wasn't as dubious. Um, so here's, uh, I, I have a few headlines. The, uh, uh, the credulous headlines run like this. Jack the Ripper finally identified, forensic scientists claim. That was a CBS News headline. Jack the Ripper identified by DNA evidence, forensic scientists claim. That was USA Today. Uh, the identity of Jack the Ripper may finally be... Oh, I'm sorry, let me start that again. The identity of Jack the Ripper may have finally been revealed, experts say. And that's from some site called uh, Indie 100. Jack the Ripper may finally have been identified, says New Study. That's the Rolling Stone. 
Uh, and then finally, uh, Tech Times has this headline. New genetic analysis may have finally revealed identity of Jack the Ripper. Now, they have weasel words in most of these headlines. There's, uh, you know, forensic scientists claim. Forensic, you know, experts say. Um, that those are slightly weasel. But then they, they have, uh, may have finally been identified. Um, uh, you know, they, they use that may word. So it's, it's not absolute. But most people are going to read those headlines and they're just going to read the headlines, and they go, oh, I see they've, they've identified who Jack the Ripper was. Now, uh, there's one headline that I found that I consider to be fairly neutral in, uh, in what they're saying their article's going to be about, uh, and that headline is, uh, Does a new genetic analysis finally reveal the identity of Jack the Ripper? And that's from Science Magazine. And there are two headlines that I saw that I thought were correct in their attitude toward this new story. Uh, these headlines, uh, Don't Believe the Hype, We May Never Know the Identity of Jack the Ripper. That's from a site called Ars Technica. A-R-S. I think that's what, it's Ars, that's how I'd read it. Um, and then there's another one, uh, Poor Science, Geneticists Doubt Claim DNA Identifies Jack the Ripper. And that's from CTV News. Now those, in my estimation, correctly talk about the evidence from the article. But they're still not as good as the Forbes headline, which is Archaeological Geneticist Called Jack the Ripper DNA Study Unpublishable Nonsense. That's what this is. Now, the headline that I had the most fun with, it's ridiculous, but... This was on Inquisitor, whatever that site is. Ghost hunting team claims to have made contact with Jack the Ripper's ghost. This is the most recent headline that I found. This is from today. Oh, as I record this, it's 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 a uh, uh, March twenty second. This is from today, and so I read that article. Who do the ghost hunters say it was? They don't say it was Aaron Kos Kosminski. No, they're Walter Sickert people. <laughs> they contacted the ghost of Walter Sickert, and he said the they heard him say the phrase Candyman, and somehow they said that means that he's Jack the Ripper. I don't get it. It's a stupid article. I'll link to it so that you can check it out. But but guys, aren't you paying attention to the news? It's Aaron Kosminski, not Jack. Walter Sickert, that's so 2002. Come on, let's get with the time. Holy smokes, uh, I'm nearly done with the show. So I, I, I'm going to do my three cool things. Um, I have a friend who is an artist. His name is Scott. Uh, other folks call him Scotty, but I got used to calling him Scott. Uh, Scott Roberts, he's a really good artist. He's doing a mural for his daughters. Who His daughters, are they've got this company called Finfolk, and they create uh, wearable uh, uh, mermaid tails, among other things. I mean, they're made of latex. They're, they're full-size human. I, I suppose they do kid sizes too, and they're very ornate and cool. And they have this uh, uh, their 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 warehouse that they've, they've where they've had their business in out in North Carolina. He's painting a mural on the walls, and he was showing you know the stages and his early stages. He's got it's just all blue. It's underwater stuff, and you're seeing all that, and it's done in just various shades of blue. And I said to him, "This is the coolest mural you've ever done." As far as I'm concerned, 
don't do anything else. Keep it just like there's a, there's you see shadows of fish and the and the seaweed and rocks and stones and you, and a sunken ship and it looks great. And he's going to do more detail and add a lot of color and all that kind of stuff. But I thought, oh, as far as I if I was hiring you to do this mural and I saw that beginning stages and, and when you got to that, I'd say, you're done. You're done. You don't know. Nice and subtle. That looks cool. And and I would pay in full. But it looks great. I'll put up a couple pictures of, uh, of what he's done uh, to show what it looks like. Uh, number two, another artist. This guy's named Frederick, Frederick Cooper. And he's been, uh, he's, oh man, this guy's a fantastic portrait artist. Uh, just amazing work. Uh, he's been posting uh, Universal Monster characters, uh, you know, the, you know, Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, uh, the Wolfman, those kinds of things. And these portraits are fantastic. And I asked him if I could post a couple on my blog site so you could check them out and see how good it is. Oh man, are they good? They are really good. Uh, I he and he does lots of uh, different mediums. He'll use just pencil. Color pencil markers. He's done some in oil paints. He's done some digital painting. Uh, just wonderful stuff. Uh, check it out. I'll link to his uh, his uh, uh, his port online portfolio so you can see a whole bunch more. It's just really cool stuff. Just really really cool. And the third cool thing for the week, we're less than a week away. Less than a week away from baseball. Ah, uh, you know, last week. I had a troll in the chat room. I, he wasn't terrible, or she wasn't terrible. And I, I got the impression that they were uh, in the chat room before because I was asked, are you going to talk about sports? Because <laughs> I've done that in the past. And I said, not this show. And I didn't last week. I didn't talk anything about sports. But uh, they were, you know, they kept going by their Anon name. It's just uh, assigned to them in the chat room. They didn't give themselves a name, and we we're trying, trying. You know, Trisha was in the chat room, of course, and she was trying to see. You know, you've been here before. I try to think of what your name is, and he says, "Oh, some call me Troll." Okay, <laughs> okay, but he, he or she, wasn't terrible. Got to the end though, and they and when the show was coming to an end, they said, "Finally," and I thought. Well, if you didn't enjoy it, why'd you listen to the whole thing? <laughs> I, they were they were terrible trolls. They were just trollish, not terrible. Oh, but but when I got into the chat room before the show last Saturday, I looked at and I could see that uh, the Friday uh, morning before, like three in the morning, some troll got into the chat room for whatever reason and just started posting all sorts of links to porn sites. And some of them, I didn't go to any of the links, but some of the language that was written, like like Lolita, I was wondering, is this some underage shit? Uh, oh man, I hope not. But no, but nobody was around, so they just gave up after a while. So anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, baseball, oh baseball, will be back and life will be wonderful again. Good night, Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. Well, I've come to the end of another show. Um, remember to be skeptical and extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The kind of evidence they're showing for this Jack the Ripper thing is not extraordinary. It's lousy. It's terrible. We still don't know who he is. But you know who I am. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dimfit Simmons. You've been listening to Dimland Radio. Uh, remember to sleep with the lights off. And we'll see you next week.
You can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option, and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks, thanks for, for tuning us in. My life, you're clever, Dim. It's certainly taken me in. Well, well I'm, I'm going, going to hell. hell.